Hello, and welcome to episode 90 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, May 12th, 2022. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? It's just wow. (laughs) Well, okay, then. How are you? I'm, yeah, same, same. For new folks, Monica and I both have seniors in high school, and after two years of doing relatively little on the social front, all of a sudden, I feel barraged. Yes, well, and I think the schools haven't really been able to do as much for their seniors, so this year they're just like, we are doing all the things. Absolutely. Which is fantastic for our kids, but also means they're very busy. And my sophomore is pretty ridiculously busy as well. I don't know about yours, but like yes. finals and... End of school year. Yeah, end of sports stuff. Yeah. And it's all happening. And it's great. It's like the best kind of busy and chaos you could ask for. But it sure feels like... A lot. A lot. <laughs> How did we used to do this all the time? I know. So, okay. But we're... I mean, we've got like two weeks. You've got even... Right. I've got three. And... And I realized that, of course, Mercury is in retrograde, and so therefore... Oh, that's what it is. <laughs> On the plus side, I'm going away this weekend, so I'm very excited. What? A little getaway with my mom and my sister, because my mom and I are both having big birthdays this year, or, you know, importantly, milestone. numbered milestone yeah. birthdays. So yeah, so we decided to have a little girls weekend, because obviously we haven't done that in a while. Awesome. So I'm looking forward to that. And it's supposed to be toasty and there will be a pool and dinners and it's going to be very nice, I think. Hooray. So yeah, then we'll come back to the crazy. It'll be here waiting for you. So excited. But as for here, all is chill and normal. We have on the needles, on the easel, on the table, on the nightstand, and it is time to gear up for bingo people. So we have that too. I know, even more fun and crazy, Courtney is looking very alarmed. <laughs> but we start with On the Needles. I am, I, I, yeah, the knitting is just so much. Tell us everything. So much going on. So I finished my Kensington tote bag, which was a gift for a friend. That is a pattern by Tony Lipsy, who was a very delightful teacher at Stitches West. The yarn is Lion Brand Yarns Woolies Thick and Quick in Air Force, which is a blue, and Toasted Almond, which is this chocolatey brown tweedy business. And it turned out super cute after all of my (laughs) problems last time getting it started. It ended up just finishing up beautifully. It looked really cute. I had ordered some buttons, buttons, mm, labels, wooden labels from Katrinkles, I believe, that say made in California. And I think she has them for Definitely a bunch of states, if not all the states. So I sewed one of those on there just to give it a little personalization. I was able to give it to my friend at her birthday party, and she seemed to really like it, and everyone thought it was cute. So I was pleased, and I thought it looked really nice. So a very successful first Tunisian crochet project. Bravo, and that's a skill that you learned at Stitches. Yes. So... So It was nice to be able to put that into use. Isn't that like a resolution or something? It's, it it was not. Like it it should have been. Yes. Learn a new skill. Uh, yeah. I should have saved it maybe for the summer and <laughs> see if it ends up on the bingo. But no, I can do another one. So then as I was finishing, I was like, this was really fast and easy. And I mean, to be fair, the yarn is giant and it's a giant hook. So that helps with the speed. 
yeah, I was like, I could do blankets with this. There's a really cute cardigan pattern. I was like, I could do that. So I need to keep that in mind, but also relax a little bit and not go too crazy because my my yarn buying is is yeah keeping pace with my my yarn making <laughs> so sort of barely we're still still recovering from the stitches numbers and uh, I'm not sure what's going on just general happiness with with life I guess I'm just like yes I should buy this absolutely anyway I also finished my alpha t-shirt by Astrid Schramm in the Cloudborn Fibers Highland Superwash Sock Twist in Ocean and Dolphin Blue. So it's blue and green stripes. Do you want to see? Yes, please. Wow. I love how they graduate and then meld and then graduate the opposite. I don't know what to call it. They get bigger and then they get smaller and then they get bigger and smaller. (laughs) That should be a helpful description for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah, no, I agree. I had to try and describe this last time and it was difficult. So you start off with your main color in a large stripe and your second color in a smaller stripe. And then the main color stripe gets smaller and smaller as the second color stripe gets bigger and bigger. So I started off, which is exactly what Courtney said. Excellent job on this t-shirt. It looks very comfortable too. It is. I'm very excited. And it was super simple. Like it, it looked pretty easy to do from the picture. And it's a t-shirt, right? So there's not long sleeves, so you don't get stuck on Sleeve Island. It was kind of even easier than I thought it was going to be, which was exciting. The shaping of the sleeves, of the sleeve cap, I guess, was a little bit different than I am used to. It's not a straight raglan. I forget what she called it, contiguous sleeve design. So that part I did have to pay attention to, but the rest of it is basically yoke shaping. So you just do a whole bunch of increases every, you know, in um, some sort of percentage wise that makes it into a circle. And then to finish the sleeves, you literally just bind them off. There's no putting them on waist yarn and then lengthening them later. Although I think if I did this again, I would do that because they're a little bit unfinished looking. Your to my cap mind. sleeve, can I see it again? It's a cap sleeve, but because right. it doesn't have... It rolls a little bit too. Mm. But that's the, it matches the neckline though. So it, it doesn't look. I'm kind of, I might go through and do maybe like a single line of crochet around to finish it just to hold it in place a little more, but we'll see. That would involve pulling the yarn back out of the (laughs) yarn stash bin. But then after that, you just shoop, you knit, there's no decreases. It's so it's actually an A-line t-shirt so you just do some increases and then some knits and pearls and you're done because you're counting the stripes it feels like it's going really quickly and and they keep changing you just want to do a little bit more a little bit more so I mean this was you know two weeks of knitting which was really nice and I have a new top and yeah and Um, it looks super wearable and the color palette is great with jeans and Yeah. And so my plan was, so I started with the blue and I think I've mentioned this before. I have issues, like I love blue. Blue is my favorite color and I always want to knit blue sweaters, but I wear jeans all the time and I don't want to be head to toe blue. So I was, that's always a conundrum. So I started with the blue at the top and it's not a denim, it's a like cornflower blue, but then I made the green the second color. So you finish with the green with more green. So I feel like it contrasts with the denim. I was very pleased. 
That's same color. That's not nice. No, in a good way. It's, oh, okay. It's not... I like all blue, so... Oh, okay. It's just to your eye. But it also yeah. matches, speaking of, matches your eye. Oh, thanks. The That blue-gray, you know. Yeah, it's, and it's not like a super dramatic striping. Yeah. It's just... It's chill. It looks... <laughs> infinitely wearable thanks yeah i'm really pleased with how it turned out and i could totally see and it so it, it basically took two skeins of yarn it was less than 100 grams for each so if you had you could do stripes you could just if you had like a two random skeins of the same thing you could do it um i think i have a like a monster skein of a gradient that i might try and do oh that this would be pattern. so fun so yeah, so there's a lot of lot of things you could do with this. And uh, yeah, so that was really fun. So it's the Alpha by Astrid Shrum. And oh, the yarn also I got from the D-Stash room at my retreat. So I didn't even pay money for it. And I took it off someone else's hands. So they, they, they can be happy about it as well that it got knit up and is living its best life now. Hooray. Yeah, so that was fun. And then Helix Cal OMG socks for Simon are still in progress. I'm almost done with the first sock for Simon. I need to officially measure it or have him try it on. I guess I could pull out one of the other socks I've made for him and just hold it up. But also I have mostly finished the leg, so if it doesn't fit, I'm going to be really annoyed. <laughs> you would think at this point I would just have a system. And I kind of do, but I'm always a little bit unsure for some reason that it's going to actually work. So we'll see. I mean, if it doesn't, I'll just start the next sock and then come back to it after it's thought about what it's done for a while but then i have another new project another t-shirt because apparently this is this is what i do now i did seriously think about starting a regular sweater i wanted to do the rainbow pullover which is really cute and has a funky construction and i bought yarn for it at stitches but it's an actual sweater and i feel like i should do another t-shirt while it is still summertime not that we really need t-shirts in the city in the summer because fog and cold. But I do occasionally go other places <laughs> where a t-shirt might be appropriate. So this is the Rocket Tee by Tannis Lavely. I had seen this. She's just re-released it, I think. It's a pattern that's been out for a while. And you use regular fingering yarn and, once again, the mohair silk lace. Um, and you do kind of stripes with it. So you do eight rows with... The fingering and then eight rows with the the lace and she in her original pattern used the same colorway for both so you got the striping appearance is just the texture difference so it looks really cool very casual and i've never been super into it but then there was someone at the retreat who was knitting one and she was using like an oatmeal gray and then a tweedy creamy white one and it looked so gorgeous and as I'm on a sweater kick, I was like, hmm, I'm having interesting thoughts about that sweater t-shirt. And then Neighborhood Fiber Company came out with a colorway honoring our new Supreme Court justice. And it's beautiful. And it's blue. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, what can I do with this? So I got a skein of that. It's blue and black, but super mellow. I mean, it's a very bright blue with the black. It's not super variegated looking. It just got a little bit. So I got a skein of that in the fingering and then a skein of her loft in Upton, which is a black. So my thought is that it will be kind of a going out sweater t-shirt. You know, again, not that I do that very often, but occasionally it does happen now. 
So I have started working on that. So I have a stripe of this bright blue and then stripes of the loft in the black. So it's definitely, you'll need like a camisole under it, something underneath because you can pretty much see through the, the lace. But I think it's going to be pretty cool. I've just gotten to where I need to separate the sleeves. So that's going to take some brain power. So I'll have to sit down and do that. I got to it last night at, I don't know, like 10 o'clock. <laughs> I was like, now is not the time to try and do this. So this was also exciting because I didn't have to swatch because I have, I still have the swatch and I have, you know, 85% of my Elton cardigan, which I'm making in the exact same yarn. And it is actually the exact same concept. <laughs> so why don't I just finish that one? I don't know. I will get to it. So I already had a swatch. I could just look at that swatch and actually the sweater and see how that was working. And I just sort of like, yeah, I think this size needle will work. And it looks like a time too. saver. Yes. So that was exciting. And I think that's it for my knitting. I have so many plans in my head right now. I may just cast on a bunch of things or I may stay monogamous. I haven't quite decided, but I have so many plans in my head that it's a little frightening sometimes. That's because Mercury's in retrograde and come uh, June 2nd, it'll all iron itself out. Thank goodness. You know, I'm completely tongue in cheek about it. Yes. But on the other hand. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's also a little true. It's a, it's a great scapegoat. <laughs> yes. It's not me. It's Mercury. Right. Okay. How is the shallography going? I haven't it? touched it. Perfect. It's in its... It's in its project bag, and I'm excited to get back to it. We are just, we are in the throes. We are at the the last bit of construction at our house, and it's the dusty, well, it's not as dusty as the demolition, but sanding drywall and that kind of thing makes for everywhere dust, and we are battling it. So I've been painting walls, not birds, which is way less exciting. And I can't wait to be done of it. I have also been working on some pigeons and some other birds when I can escape the construction chaos and get to some gouache. But I'm really eager. I feel like you do that. There, I want to have all of these things in the work. And as soon as our big events are done with for the year, then I can dive into what I'm really meant to be doing, which is painting weird things. And also the two other non-painting things that I've been up to. I made corsages for the proms. There's a reason for this. I don't want you to think that I'm a crazy person who doesn't want to pay for beautiful floral design. In the fall, I might have mentioned this, the boys were going to homecoming one of them wanted to bring a corsage for his date and it was 11th hour and we couldn't get one in time. And so I just kind of made a decision that, well, we'll just make it tomorrow morning. And we made it and it was so fun. And she, the date was into alternative materials. So I tucked in a feather and like it, it just made it super cool. So then when we were getting ready for this prom, I offered the boys well, we can make them again if you want, or just my older son. And so he accepted and we got like a fancy rhinestone bracelet for it. And 
I mean, it's an elasticated thing that's meant for corsages. It's not like I retrofitted some vintage number. Anyway. That would be cool, though. It would be cool. I really like the process. I think it's, if you're not racing against the clock, it's very satisfying. And it appeals to me. And she had this beautiful corsage because of it. And I get to make another one tomorrow. Yay, thank you. Because, you know, we have dueling proms here. So we'll do it. So my big kid gets a a Courtney original as well. And I... Or I guess his date does. Yeah. Well, he's going to... I'm going to do the boutonnieres too. So I can can make the matching set. and, And then one of the kids... And my son's group didn't have a date. And so I made him a boutonniere and pinned it on him. So the corsages, that's been a really fun little side project. And I really enjoy making them. And then I am still really bent on making more of my own clothing. Handmade as best that I can do and really learn how to do it properly and right now, I really don't have the bandwidth to dive in and do this. And so I'm making a lot of preparations for it. I'm getting some patterns ready, getting some fabric ready, so that when I have time, I can dive headfirst into it. But I did watch a really incredible sewing workshop. The workshop was how to be really intentional about your sewing practice and make it work for your own sewing goals. It was great to clarify for myself why I want to do this and to keep that front and center. And that way I don't get frustrated or sidetracked or whatever, because it because it is a big undertaking. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm never going to buy clothing again, but I want to be so much more intentional about it than I have been. I'm going to link the workshop because I think if anybody else is sewing or even for that matter, knitting apparel for yourself. Yeah, I was going to say that sounds... It is relevant. Yeah. And it it's, you know, she talks about quality versus the fast fashion and if that's you know if that aligns with your your intentions and i don't there's so many more pieces to it it's like a 20 minute youtube but it was the it was time really well spent because now i feel like when i'm deciding which project i'm going to knit or knit or sew next that it aligns with the goals that i have in the clothing that i already own and it just feels like a great mindset to go into the sewing practice with. So I will share that and look for it in the notes. Cool. That sounds exciting. Yeah, I think it's definitely the same with knitting because a lot of times there's really cool patterns and you think, oh, that'd be great. I totally want to knit that. But then you think, would I actually wear it? So spending all that time and material and for something that you're not going to be able to use for various reasons, right? It doesn't fit with your lifestyle, wardrobe, just this you know, the shaping might not be what's best for you. So Yeah, and there there's pieces of it, you know, t- that are really considering your own personal style and choosing patterns that either, you know, enhance your skill set, but still are wearable. And then how to compartmentalize your wardrobe from like your everyday, like your Monday, Friday outfits, then your slightly nicer articles or your workwear and then your special occasion and then she has a bunch of other categories like for swimwear 
lingerie and workout. Mm. But then the outerwear, she has this whole section about outerwear and where you live and make it make sense. And, Mm. and that's a, that is a huge gap in my wardrobe. I am really guilty of wearing like the same vest for years and years. And that's something that that's a way for me to work on some sewing technique that would be really helpful in other garments. But then, then I'll have like a really cool burnt orange wool coat or teal coats, like something that I've always really wanted that will fill a hole. It, it was just a really eye-opening workshop, and I hope other people get a lot out of it. The woman who produced it, her other sewing is not my style at all. It's a lot more like costume or period, or mm. I, I don't know the correct term for it, but it's not anything that I would seek out, and I don't know how I stumbled across it, but I feel like it. it's just great, really helpful, and other people will appreciate it too. Excellent. Thank you. So on the table. Yeah. So the husband has been traveling for work. So it has been the meat and gluten fest. So I have two <laughs> new carnivorous recipes to share with you guys. What? I know, right? The first is from Simply Julia because we just love her so much. And I felt like there were a lot of recipes that I hadn't really gotten to. Although I did make the Reuben chicken skillet again and it was still delicious so that was exciting that was last week and then this week i tried the roast chicken with onion gravy and this was very tasty and so easy so i highly recommend so you slice some onions put them in the bottom of a skillet add some chicken broth add your cut up chicken or you know whatever kind of chicken pieces with bones and skin i mean i guess you could not do that but i think the timing would be off put some butter on there and then roast it for 45 minutes take the chicken out reduce your broth add some sour cream and mustard and you're done Ooh, i yeah that's so, like a dijon chicken yeah so yeah. it smelled so good it smelled like one of the sauces that we use for beef fondue so that was just a great great <laughs> mental you know sensory image so that was really exciting and then i served it with some orzo which i don't usually get to serve in my house so it was all very exciting and you had the sauce on the chicken and the sauce on the orzo and it was just so delicious I think I could have reduced the broth down a lot more it was pretty loosey-goosey still a little bit tasted like chicken soup but I think it was okay and it had all the onions in it and they were just I mean they would just been roasting in the chicken forever so they were super mellow and delicious and it was just ridiculously easy Again, with the Simply Julia, you look at them and you think, oh, this is going to take me forever. And it's just so easy. So easy. I mean, I guess alternatively, I could have thrown some flour or something in there to thicken it up. But that seemed like too much trouble. And it was it was delicious as it was. And I had some leftovers, surprisingly. So I had a nice lunch the next day. Yum. So that one I was really excited about. And then I went to the Half-Baked Harvest website to see what she had to offer me. And I found crispy cheese chicken tacos with avocado cilantro sauce. Wow. So kind of a pain. These were less simple, but delicious. Ground, I think I think I ended up using ground turkey, but you could use chicken. You could do it with beef too. And you simmer the meat with onions and a whole bunch of spices. I probably would cut back on the spice a little bit. Not too much. They were just a smidge much for me. 
I made the same thing. Did you? I was wondering if you were going to do that. I was like, is Courtney going to make this? Gosh, look at that loud laugh. Sorry. Okay. So cut back on the spice. The cheese business was a pain. Why? Because you had to individually. Okay. So what you do, so you, you make your little taco in your tortilla and then you put a blob of cheese in your pan, put the taco on the cheese, let it get crispy and flip half of the cheese over onto the taco. And then flip the whole thing. So you can, I mean. I did the cookbook version, which is slightly different. So this is fascinating. This is fascinating. Because basically, I mean, it calls for 12. I think I got 10 tacos total. And and I had enough space in my pan for two at a time. So it wasn't horrible, but it was still a little annoying. But it was delicious. Okay. So you end up with like crispy cheese on the outside of your, it's basically a quesadilla. Yeah. So it's not really a taco. Taco-shaped quesadilla with cheese on the outside. And the avocado cilantro sauce was really nice, too. I like her sauces. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to jump in. Yes, please. Because the synchronicity is blowing my (laughs) mind. I did, I grabbed her new cookbook through the library. I'm test driving it. And I did the baked tacos, which is, I think, Mm. the less labor intensive yes the less labor intensive version of this although these are ones that her dad did so similar ground turkey a little bit over seasoned meat product and then the tortillas you brush with olive oil Mm -hmm. and season the outside of them and then flip them over on a sheet pan okay then you do your cheese and your meat and fold them in half so that the seasoning is on the outside. Mm-hmm. And you put them in the oven for eight minutes, flip them over for another few so, to let the cheese like like permeate the whole thing. The tortillas puffed up and were like gorgeous and crispy. And the cheese melted in throughout and some of it seeped out a little bit. So it did that crunchy business. But it was much easier to eat than having cheese on so the your outside. your cheese was in the inside. That was the other thing I was thinking is because as I was flipping them, there was nothing to hold the meat together on the inside. So that I was also thinking it needed some cheese on the inside as well. But I bet you could even do it once you flip it, throw some cheese on top. You could. In the oven. You could and it would be And then it would just, yeah, and that would be much easier. And you can fit a lot. Yeah. You know, you can fit six or eight on a sheet tray. Oh, yeah. And then the- I recommend that process. Yes. I, I think mine was a little easier than yours. And I didn't use, what was your sauce? Cilantro? Avocado cilantro. So I did the the avocado jalapeno crema from a former recipe uh-huh. from a couple weeks ago because we are in love with that avocado sauce. It has cilantro in it too. Oh, I think I remember you talking about that. Yeah. And I like it because I can do a big batch of it and the pickle juice from the jalapeno keeps the avocado from browning. So it will keep in the fridge and not and not turn for a couple days. I'm amazed. So I love that trick and you add a little honey to it. So it's just it also helps the taco stick together if it's like puffing open. Mm. I do that after, like when it's right when you're serving it. But yeah, this sauce sounds very similar, except without the jalapeno, pickled jalapenos. So it was avocado and Greek yogurt and cilantro, and there was a little honey in there and green salsa. Mm. 
This is mostly avocado. No dairy. Oh, that would be good, too. Okay. Interesting. So, what else did you make? <laughs> Those are my only oh, two really great. exciting things. Great, great. I thought I was stepping on your toes to... No. Okay, so that was the... I think those are called Dad's Baked Tacos from Half-Baked Harvest. That's what mine were called. I felt like it could have used a little slaw, like marinated Mm. cabbage slaw on the side to help. You know, it's pretty meaty, which my family loves, but I wanted a little slaw. Yeah, we had some salad on the side, and that was a nice contrast. Yeah. I have two chicken recipes to share and then an epic fail. You ready? I am ready. Okay. I did a creamy herbed chicken breast. Mm. We've had a lot of cooler weather, so I felt like nice warm chicken dishes were going to fit the bill. This one in particular was with half and half and herbs, and it was I did it on the cooktop. Really easy. One skillet. Served it with rice and a salad, and that's from Cafe Delights. Then, riffing on that same theme, I found one that's called Melt-in-Your-Mouth Chicken. And this one had sour cream and Greek yogurt and Parmesan and herbs, and it felt a lot like that pesto chicken recipe that I sometimes do. Mm, Yeah. And it's roasted in the oven, which is sometimes... A little easier because you can just put it in there and walk away and we had a lot going on so that was delicious because it's just succulent in its own sour cream bath you just can't go wrong. actually you you put a dollop of the mixture the parmesan and yogurt and herb and sour cream mixture on top and it just like melts over the chicken breasts and oh it was so good wow that was a I think I loved that one the most. Everybody else ate it, but I really like that. We'll repeat again. And then I was influenced by something that I saw on the internets. Oh, dear. I saw these really beautiful pink wafers that were like a frozen frozen yogurt and berry wafer. I don't know what the technical or the influencer name for them was. And I followed the recipe, so I got this big package of strawberries, pureed it with Greek yogurt, a little bit of honey, and oh, it called for a little bit of coconut oil, which I thought was to help it congeal. Right. Although there really wasn't enough to, it was like a tablespoon of coconut oil. Hmm. And then you freeze them, you know, put the dollops on a, a parchment and put them in the freezer, and then you get these like really cute, pretty frozen pink wafers at least you're supposed to you're supposed to it was super runny and so mine were like paper thin they weren't really a dollop of anything they froze up beautifully but i think that it needed like twice as much greek yogurt because Mm. they weren't pink they were strawberry red and they were really icy like frozen strawberries Mm, (laughs) so i just chucked them I chucked them into a smoothie and drank it. <laughs> like it was just uh, that ridiculous. So I they w- tasted fine. It was just not. They were really tart. Mm. So they probably needed more yogurt. More yogurt. Yeah. To mellow them out and to help them be less icy. I don't know that I will attempt this again. It was, I feel silly for even telling you about it. But um, yeah, that's sometimes. Sometimes things do not work out. Sometimes things don't work. And I really just wanted something sweet that wasn't... Complicated. Yeah. Yeah. 
or or terrible for me. Mm, so yeah. I know I was aiming for for a health factor and <laughs> well, you got a smoothie out of it. I got a smoothie. You win anyway. some, you lose some. Yeah. And we have decided on a book for our next cookbook review. We are going with Snacks for Dinner by Lucas Volger. It just came out May 2nd, I believe. And it's kind of similar to my whole tapas thing that I've been doing in that section in the weekday vegetarians. Um, But it's a whole book of it. And he does vegetarian cooking. So it's all vegetarian recipes. So it's also really good just if you want other vegetable ideas like side dishes and things. A lot of them can be vegan as well. And it's just fun. It's really fun. And I feel like it's good for like you could extrapolate some of them for some of the recipes for events and parties and just do kind of that more board display vegetable. I don't know. It's really pretty. Yeah, you could certainly like, you know, for a buffet, if you had or even a dinner party, really, you could do like if you needed to, you could do a meat main dish like a roast ham or a chicken or something and then have all these little extras. So bites. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm excited to dive into that. I actually because then my husband left, so I haven't done it as much, but I have several recipes picked out. I'm not sure when we're gonna do that review, but probably in wanna, June. Yeah. Things are busy right now. Yeah. But if you want to check it out and cook along and let us know what you think as well, feel free. And we're happy to support him because he gave us the thirty days of oatmeal in Yep in January and he's also done he did a whole different grain thing that you were following for a while too right yes yeah yeah and I have one of his other cookbooks um which I've gotten a lot of good ideas from yeah so so we like him all right on the nightstand so again some more nonfiction. starting off with who gets in and why a year inside college admissions by Jeffrey J. Selingo (laughs) <laughs> so this this book will either send you completely off the ledge or will really reel you back in and calm you down. So that was that was kind of why I read it. I think I have a pretty good grasp on why you do not need to send your child to an Ivy League school, but it was nice to hear it again. He was able to shadow three different schools. They let him, you know, behind the scenes. And he followed a bunch of kids around and kind of what they were looking at, what the parents were looking at, and then what the schools are looking for. And his basic thing was, yes, it is really hard to get into, you know, an elite, quote unquote, college. But there are a bajillion other schools in there. They're going to be equally amazing. Absolutely. So don't panic. And there is a lot of times it's not that you don't have the grades or the whatever. It's just that the school needs something else to have a whole balanced class. And, you know, if they have five trombone players, they might only need one, even though your child is amazing because they all are. So that was that was kind of interesting to to read through and just to be reminded that it's all going to be fine. And then and this one was really cool. Craft and American History by Glenn Adamson. As you might expect, it is the history of craft in America. <laughs> it was fascinating. I had read a description of it and thought, oh, this sounds vaguely interesting. And then I got it from the library. and I was like, oh, no, I don't really want to read this. But I started reading it. And I mean, it starts with, you know, when Europeans came to America and, you know, everyone was crafting, basically, to a certain extent. And craftspeople, blacksmiths and coopers and cobblers and you know, everyone, they were really important. And then with the Industrial Revolution, it became less so. And then it's sort of, you know, just how it's gone through our whole history. But he also looks at like how it 
it relates to labor unions and women's work and craft in the native populations and African-Americans and, you know, all of these things. So many social movements. It's not just knitting or <laughs> or, or whatever. Or sewing. Or, yeah, yeah, it's there's so much more. So it's, it was, a, it's a pretty broad definition of craft in both sort of a, a business and a personal sense and how it has switched between those two ideas of craft. Um, so it was really quite interesting and very well researched. I think, I mean, it seemed like it was well researched, pulls from a lot of different areas. So I found that really interesting and would recommend it as well. And then a couple of series continuations I listened to, The Last Wild Horses by Maya Lundy, translated by Diane Oatley. This is my fourth book in translation this year. So I am doing park. So good on that one. So this is the third in her climate quartet. So I now know how many are in that series. I guess there'll be one more. And I said last time that you didn't need to read them in order. I do think you need to read the second one and the third one. The first one, I think you can read whenever. But there is a character from the second book that shows up in this third book. And you could possibly read them in either order, but it will be a little spoilery if you read the third one and then the second one but whatever. Your mileage may vary. So this one is three separate stories. We've got Michael or Mikhail, who's in St. Petersburg in 1881, Karen uh, in 1992, and Eva in 2064. And Michael Mikhail works at a zoo. He is on an expedition to Mongolia to try and capture some of the last wild horses in Mongolia. They think they've rediscovered them. And these are actual wild horses they've never been you can't tame them they've never been tamed and they're sort of a legend and then Karen in 1992 is going back to Mongolia to reintroduce the horses to the wild and she has various things going on as well and then Ava in 2064 after the collapse of society her family owned a wild animal preservation park in Norway she's had to release most of the animals but she still has two wild horses so that's the connection between the stories. And it's really interesting. There's a lot of science and information about the actual horses. They are an actual thing. But then the people's stories are very intense and not at all related to the horses. There's a lot of emotion in here, family drama, how kids and parents relate to each other. It was really good. I think this might be my favorite one so far just because mm. it's it felt much less about the environmental issue. That's a little bit of, it felt more backgroundy and really the characters' relationships and what they're going through, super important. Karin's story especially is really hard, but I really enjoyed this one and I'm looking forward to seeing what she does with, with book four whenever we get to that. And then The Consuming Fire by John Scalzi, which is the second book in the Interdependency series. You know, world's still falling apart or the empire's still falling apart, still trying to save it. Super fun, great adventures, you know, plots and counterplots and bad guys and good guys and just delightful and fun. But then I read another book by him, which is his most recent book. So it was very, very John Scalzi couple of weeks, The Kaiju Preservation Society. Jamie Gray, it is March 2020, and he has just gotten laid off from his startup job. Uh, so he ends up delivering food and now he's going to lose that job. But his final client is a guy that he knows, like he's a friend of a friend from grad school and offers him a job at his NGO. 
He says, the pay will be great. It's a lot of field work. You're away from months at a time. And we work with big animals. And the guy's like, whatever, I need a job. Sounds fantastic. Turns out the job, the field work, is on an alternate Earth with kaiju, which is Godzilla. <laughs> so it's a whole alternate Earth. There's all these Godzilla creatures and this secret team of scientists is there studying them. Things go sideways, of course. And Really? I know. Shocking, right? And they have to save the world. It was delightful. All of the scientists, like, there's definitely bad guys in here, but the rest of the people are just awesome. And it was this beautiful, supportive work environment, which I really thought was so amazing. And he wrote it during the pandemic. So there's sort of that kind of background. And so the people, like as I said, it starts in March 2020. So there's that whole background. But then they all go, you know, to this alternate Earth. So it's fine. Um, and they get the vaccine early because, you know, super secret science. It was a delightful, super fun book. I would recommend too, if that is your thing. Yeah, it was it was all sci-fi and fantasy this time, people. So apologies if that's not your thing. A Master of Gin by P. Jelly Clark. It's the first book in a series, but I think he has written a bunch of short stories or novellas featuring the same characters. So there were a lot of references to things that had happened in those stories. But I read this one. This is the first one of his that I've read, and it was fine. It was like, oh, there's other things. It's all good. So it's like a, a fantasy, sci no, not sci-fi, fantasy mystery, like police procedural. So that's kind of fun. It takes place in Egypt in early 1900s, but in an alternate world where like 50 years ago, this magician reintroduced magic to the world, mostly in Egypt. So now Egypt is becoming one of the superpowers. They're going to be hosting a peace conference to try and keep Europe from going to war. And there is a ministry of alchemy, enchantments, and supernatural entities. And our heroine Fatma is the youngest woman working there, but she's super cool and amazing. And there has been a murder of a secret society. And so she's investigating that and, you know, saving the world, of course, as one does. So it was pretty fun. It was also really interesting getting into the Egyptian mythology. A lot of it was similar from a series that I read last year, two years ago, that began with City of Brass. So a lot of the, the djinn references there were a lot of similar things, so I felt like, oh, wow, I knew that. But there was a lot of other things to know, and they really go into Egyptian culture. And so that was that was a fun one. I, I don't think any of the other full-length books are available yet, so I will keep an eye out for those. And then A Thousand Steps Into Night by Tracy Chi. This is a young adult one, and she's written some other ones. And I've read one of them and wasn't blown away, but this one I really, really liked. Miyuko is in... I don't think they call it Japan, but it's basically Japan. And she is walking home late one night at dusk, which is not a good time to be walking home. She is cursed by a demon, starts to turn into a demon. So she is traveling through Japan to try and reverse the curse. She meets a bunch of supernatural figures, makes some friends. And then in the middle, whoop, big plot twist. So good. Uh, this was a really fun book. It sounds fun. It Yeah. And you get all the Japanese mythology and culture, which was great. So I really enjoyed this one as well. The Lost Book of Adana Moreau by Michael Zapata. Adana Moreau is a Dominican immigrant in the early 1900s. She ends up in New Orleans in the 
1920s, writes a sci-fi. Is this, is this based on a real person? I don't think so. Okay. She ends up writing a sci-fi novel kind of to entertain her kid, uh, but it gets published and is sort of an underground cult hit. And she's in the middle of writing her second book when she dies, I think, from cancer. And right before she dies, she burns her manuscript. So it's lost. Oh my gosh. Years later, Saul Drower finds a copy of this second book of the manuscript in his grandfather's effects and is trying to find Adana's son to give it to him. But there's Hurricane Katrina. There's other things going on. So you get all of these backstories and side stories. And how did this manuscript come to this person? And how are they all related? How do they know each other? So there's this whole story that Adana's story just kind of leads up to. And is, that isn't even really the main one. It was really well written. It was really interesting. You get, you know, immigrant crises all over. He goes to Argentina, immigrants, you know, from Eastern Europe into Chicago, all of the things going on in New Orleans, lots going on in this book. And a lot of fun, you know, just people who live in like the sci-fi world, like that's their, the books they enjoy. So that was a really cool group of people to, to hang out with for a while. They're your people. They are my people. And then Sea of Tranquility by Emily St. John Mandel, her newest book. Fantastic. She's the best. I like her so much. Tell me about this book. So, wait, uh, did, did you read The Glass Hotel? Yes. Okay. Is it linked? Yes. Okay. So I think the Station Eleven, I think, is the only one that's not really linked. I don't remember it being linked. Her other books are all linked, but very tangentially. So Station I, Eleven is tangentially linked. Oh, is it? To, mm-hmm. I had heard that. I, it feels less so. I'll have to go back and reread it's it. It's just like tiny threads of characters that yeah. come into. Okay, that makes sense. And this one is probably fairly unlinked. So the main character of Glass Hotel makes an appearance. A couple of those characters make an appearance, but I don't think you would need to have read that to have it make sense. So, which I, is probably true of all of the books. Okay. Anyway, so this one is a little more sci-fi time travel than her other ones. This is her pandemic book, like written during the pandemic. So, you know, I think all the authors are like, whatever, I'm doing something new. So there's uh, several people and they all experience this weird sort of moment. And then in the far future, when they have time travel, they're investigating because they're not sure. That they think it's a glitch in the system and they got to figure out what's going on. So they send a guy back to figure out what's going on. There's a character in there who is an author who's written a couple of books and then she re- writes a book about a pandemic and becomes super famous. And now she's on book tour and she's thinking about how <laughs> her life has changed. And it's so weird. She's like, I wrote all these other books and it's totally based on her, but not on um, Emily as well. But it's not. So there's it's a very kind of meta book. There's a lot of things going on. I heard an interview with her on NPR where she says, it's really hard to say what it's about because there's all these different things. Go- there's all these different threads that come together. Um, you kind of go forward in time and then back in time and things connect. And you've got these characters coming back from other books. But it was just, I really liked it a lot. I'm so glad because I loved Station Eleven. And I didn't love... Mm. the glass hotel yeah this one does feel a little more yeah no i would say i probably didn't love glass hotel quite as much as i love this one but it is a little more out there sci-fi i mean it's got the time travel it's got weirdness it's got you know it's back and forth 
Yeah, um, sometimes that doesn't Glass Hotel, land for yeah. me. Glass Hotel is a little more straightforward. Realistic, yeah. Yeah. So, but I like, I mean, I liked all her books. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's all. <laughs> and that's it. So I feel like a complete underachiever. Thanks, Monica. I, I this was This was a lot of reading. I won't even tell you my excuse for only showing up with two books, but I have two books for you. I mean, that's more than some people read in a year, so you're good. No. <laughs> um, yes. It's not a competition. It's, you just no, read what not. you read. It is not a competition. Because I would win. <laughs> that's right. I am on a bird kick because I am me and I love birds. And I'm not keeping it a secret anymore. <laughs> I don't think it was a secret. I feel like there were birds in one of my books. Ooh, really? But I can't remember which one. Like somebody was watching birds. Sea of Tranquility, maybe? Mm. Hmm. Anyway. I have fallen into this great little vein of books that are related to birding and bird watching. So my first book is called The Bird Watcher by William Shaw. It, obviously has a lot of bird references, but it is also a murder, crime, mystery type book. It takes place on the Kent coast. We have one narrator, one main narrator named William South, and he is a police officer, but he's like a desk cop, proudly, at the beginning of the book. He doesn't go to crime scenes or anything like that. And at the beginning of the novel, he is thrust into a murder case because the murder happened to his neighbor. And so even though he's a police officer, he deals with petty things and he just never has a case this close to home or difficult. So then we get a flashback of his and how he has this major secret. As the case, the, the murder next door unfolds and, and the story progresses, we get more and more of his backstory, of course, and why he is so reticent to be a part of this murder case. And it's just so ironic that this character who has giant secrets ever wanted to become a police officer. And bird-related, he and his neighbor would go out and do birding and count birds and make these great lists. And it was really part of his everyday life. I think the takeaway for me was a lot of people don't pay attention to birds at all. Like forget that they're there. Don't think about them. It takes a certain kind of attention to train your ear to listen for the birds and to be able to identify and recognize different types of species. And the book beautifully, although not overtly, relates it to being a police officer and paying attention and watching people's tics and traits and and how some birds are really elusive and thus so are people. For a murder mystery, I got a tremendous amount of enjoyment about it because out of it because of the birding side. It was really satisfying read. And then I read a book called Birds in Fall by Brad Kessler. This is a slimmer novel that takes place mostly on a remote island in Nova Scotia, present day, and there is a tragedy. And this was really hard for me to read about because it deals with a plane crash and it's like one of my chief irrational phobias. 
thankfully for the book, it happens pretty early on and you you never get past it really, but the focus shifts away and our perspective is with the families of the people who lost someone on the flight. There's lots of different weaving narratives and it is correlated with the bird migration because the plane goes down in the fall, which is when a lot of birds are leaving Nova Scotia for warmer climes. Also, that same paying attention to the detail and minutia that's happening in the bird communities with what's happening with the people who are grieving. Totally different than the murder mystery, of course, but I think these authors are bird people. You know, you find your um, science fiction Godzilla people, and I find my bird people. And it's weird, weird on two different levels. So (laughs) I just fully own it. I am endlessly fascinated by birds. And while I was reading Birds in Fall, I kept a list of every bird that he mentioned. And they are, for the most part, birds of Nova Scotia and that part of Canada. If I had time at this current moment, I am so compelled to paint just all of these birds as an array and as a book report for this particular novel. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah, I think so. There's probably 40 birds mentioned, so. That would be a big picture. (laughs) Yeah, in the, the kaiju book, the main character was at grad school for, he was doing his PhD on um, bioengineering in literature, Frankenstein to the Murderbot series, which I thought was just uh, so awesome reference. because I love that book. And to see it called out was really, really fun. All our people. All right, then. All right. So quickly, bingo, it is almost time because it will start Friday, May 27th, which is we will have this episode. And then when the next one comes out after that, it will already be after May 27th, which is... I don't even, I I can't even, I can't even. So, bingo. We will, I haven't finished it yet because we're still, (laughs) we're still tweaking some new categories for this season, but we'll have it available on the story highlights on our Instagram, our craft cook, read, repeat Instagram site. And then they can, how else can they get it? Contact us and we can send you a PDF, but we need an email address to do that. So you can contact us on Instagram or through craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com or on Ravelry, you know, any of the ways you can contact us, but we do need an actual email address to send you an electronic PDF. And so, yeah, so it's a bingo sheet if you haven't done it before, and it has bingo squares where you craft something or cook something or read something. They're, you know, and they're just, they're just different inspirations to get you do something new, try something new. For most of us, it will be summer, but they shouldn't be specifically hot weather related or anything for the most part. So if you are in the Southern Hemisphere, feel free you could do, do it as well. You know, if you're going to spend time with family for a week, you could try it for a week and do what you can, or you can stretch it out over the whole. It runs from U.S. Memorial Day through U.S. Labor Day, which is, I don't even know the date. Monday, September 5th. Ooh, this is a, it's a chunk of time. Yeah, plenty of time. 
All you need is one bingo row in any direction. And we do ask that you post a photo of that on Instagram or on Ravelry. There will be a Ravelry thread. And we also like if you post photos of whatever you're and tell you're doing tell your stories we like to talk about it here on the podcast and then we do have a hashtag for the whole shebang that is ccrr summer bingo 2022 yes we'll get that up and running and fresh yep and you can look at past years bingo sheets on the ig site right now if you want to but we are going to change it i mean a lot some of it will be the same so you can get ideas about what there is and so just have fun with it and post your entries and there will be a fabulous prize package you get a second entry if you do a blackout which is all of the squares i got a blackout last year you did i think and i'm bragging about it because yeah i, I didn't the previous no two. i don't this think is... i've ever gotten one i usually get most of them this is our fourth it must be yeah it's amazing so yeah so that'll be coming and it's super fun and we hope you guys like it as well so enjoy and until next time make sure to do something you love every day thanks everyone bye show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com you can find us on instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtney sf that's c-o-r-t-n-e-y-s-f on Ravelry I'm Magdon m-a-g-d-o-n and if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.